Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will look at Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. In our last session, our attention was drawn to the Apostle Peter and three miracles that took place. We discussed the two miracles, the healing of Aeneas and Tabitha being raised from the dead, and today we will take a look at the greatest miracle, the salvation of a man by the name of Cornelius and his entire household. With this event, the final phase of our Lord's command in Acts 1.8 is completed. Do you remember what Jesus commanded his disciples to do just before his ascension? He said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit was already preparing Peter's heart for this transition. As we had previously learned from verse 43 in chapter 9, where we read that while Peter was in Joppa, he stayed in the home of Simon the Tanner. This alone is significant. According to the law of Moses, no one is supposed to touch a dead animal. If they do, they are declared unclean and must be ceremonially cleansed along with a special offering. A tanner is someone who works on the hides of dead animals, therefore he would be considered perpetually unclean. But Simon must have become a believer in Jesus Christ, and Peter stayed with him at his home near the sea. Peter is already beginning to think differently about someone who is a believer in Christ. And that wall between Jew and Gentile was beginning to crumble. Now it's been about, oh, 10 years since Jesus ascended to heaven. And it was now time for the Lord to complete that work in Peter's life as well as in the world through the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Let's read the first portion of how this takes place. Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up before God for a memorial before him. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, 
Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now when Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. As we read, Cornelius was a Gentile who dwelt in Caesarea, and he was a Roman centurion which means that he was a commander of a hundred soldiers. Dr. F.F. F. Bruce provides us with some information on what kind of a man a centurion was. He writes this, A centurion was nominally in command of a hundred men. Centurions were the backbone of the Roman army. The historian Polybius sums up their necessary qualifications as good leaders, of a steady and prudent mind, not prone to take the offensive or start fighting wantonly, but able when overwhelmed and hard-pressed to stand fast and die at their post. This man was obviously a man of authority and strength, but he was also a man who had grown tired of all of the idolatry that was promoted throughout the Roman Empire. This man had heard about the God of Israel and had come to believe in the one true God. He is described as a God-fearer, and this means that he had become a worshiper of the God of Israel. And his devotion was consistent in every way like a Jew, except for the fact that he was not circumcised. Which, if he had been, this would have made him a proselyte. Verse 2 says that he was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. 
because of the way that he lived his life and worshiped the Lord God, this man was highly respected among the Jews, even though he was still a Gentile, an outsider, and excluded from God's covenant with Israel. In verse 3, the Bible says that he was praying at the ninth hour of the day. That would be about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. All Jews had two specific times of prayer, in the morning and at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which was the time of the evening sacrifice. Once again, we have a confirmation of how devoted Cornelius was in his worship of the Lord God. During his time of prayer on this day, an angel came and spoke to him a message and a command. Let's, let's read it again, what the angel said to him. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Let me, let me make three observations from these verses. First, the prayers and alms that Cornelius gave were known by God and were considered by God as a memorial offering or a sacrificial offering to the Lord. In other words, these memorial offerings were noticed by God, received by God, and they were recorded in heaven. Secondly, although these offerings were good and precious in God's sight, they did not save him. All his righteous acts, almsgiving, and prayers were not enough to save him. Therefore God sent an angel to him and commanded him to send for Peter, who would tell him about Jesus and the way of salvation. This is such a significant teaching that we need to understand. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There are many who misunderstand this doctrinal truth. Our good works cannot save us. Only the blood of Jesus can save us, washing away our sin. Warren Wearsby tells the story of a man by the name of John Wesley, who also at one time did not understand this. And let me share his story with you. Uh, Wearsby writes this, it is interesting to see how religious a person can be and still not be saved. Certainly, Cornelius was sincere in his obedience to God's law, his fasting, and his generosity to the Jewish people. In every way, he was a model of religious respectability. And yet, he was not a saved man. The difference between Cornelius and many religious people today is this. He knew that his religious devotion was not sufficient to save him. 
In many respects, John Wesley was like Cornelius. He was a religious man, a church member, a minister, and the son of a minister. He belonged to a religious club at Oxford, the purpose of which was the perfecting of the Christian life. Wesley served as a foreign missionary, but even as he preached to others, he had no assurance of his own personal salvation. On May 24, 1738, Wesley reluctantly attended a small meeting in London where someone was reading aloud from Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. About a quarter before nine, Wesley wrote in his journal, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. The result was the great Wesleyan revival that not only swept many into the kingdom, but also helped transform British society through Christian social action. His brother Charles Wesley also had the same kind of conversion experience. He too was a minister of the gospel. He too was a the son of a of a minister and and all that all that John had done was Charles had also done. He too had his own personal encounter with Jesus long after he'd been serving him. Cornelius understood that his religious devotion was not sufficient to save him. And therefore, he was asking God to show him the way of salvation. We know this through reading Peter's account of what happened in Acts 11, 13 through 14. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house. This is P Peter's account to uh, the people in Jerusalem later on. Who said to him, send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you the words by which you and all your household will be saved. Let me just pause for a moment to point out that the angel told Cornelius to send for Peter. And Peter was commanded to tell Cornelius about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The angels is a servant of God, but it's to the redeemed that God has given the privilege of sharing the gospel to others who do not know Jesus. And that is why the angel could not tell the story could not tell this truth to Cornelius. It had to be Peter. It has to be you and me. We have been entrusted with that great commission. We have been entrusted with that responsibility to be his witnesses. Well, being the disciplined soldier that he was, Cornelius immediately obeyed. 
And he called two of his servants and a devoted soldier under his command and instructed them to go to Joppa and bring Peter back with them. You will notice that this man's faith in the true and living God was already having a great impact in his household and also in his regiment. The men did what they were told and they began their journey to Joppa. As the three men drew close to Joppa, Peter was on the roof of the house spending much time in prayer. And the Bible says that it was the sixth hour, which is about noon. He'd become hungry and so he'd asked for some food to be prepared. Then he resumed his prayers while he waited. And at that time, he was given a very dramatic vision from heaven. In his vision, he saw a sheet descend out of heaven loaded with all kinds of animals, both domestic and wild, along with insects and birds. And these were considered to be unclean foods in the law. And then he heard a voice commanding him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Well, Peter's first response was to say, No, Lord. And on the one hand, I can understand why Peter would say no. This was something that was clearly against the Mosaic Mosaic law. He had never in his life eaten anything that was considered unclean. Someone who is familiar with the book of Ezekiel knows that at one time God asked the prophet Ezekiel to prepare certain foods and bake it over a fire made with human dung. What God was asking him to do was to be assigned to the Israelites a graphic teaching concerning their sin. But Ezekiel also argued that doing that would make the food unclean, and he had never eaten unclean food. The Lord relented and changed the dung from human to animal dung. But for Peter, God had a different lesson in mind, and it was this, and I'll say it in God's own words, What God has cleansed, you must not call unclean. What God was doing was telling Peter through this vision that the time had come for the Gentiles to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the Gentiles too would now be grafted into the household of faith and the church of Jesus Christ. You see, in the mind of a Jew, all Gentiles were unclean. But Jesus saw them differently. I think the best description of what God has done is found in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 20. I'm going to read this passage out of the New Living Translation so that it will be a little bit easier to understand. It reads this way. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have even united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, 
But now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. And just to be sure that we understand, if you are a Jew, if you are not a Jew, then you are a Gentile. Let me say that again. If you are not a Jew, then you are a Gentile. I am a Gentile and a follower of Jesus Christ, who has also been brought near to God by Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. God's grace is so marvelous. This is what Jesus meant in John 3.16 when he said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to die so that we might not perish because we were sinners, but instead we've received the gift of everlasting life through Jesus Christ. So, when Peter initially said, No, Lord, Although we understand his feelings, we now also understand God's greater plan. Therefore, I would like to take just a moment to discuss Peter's answer. How can you say the words no and Lord in the same sentence? These two words are in direct contradiction with themselves. I like how Dr. Ironside responded to this. He writes, The Lord had commanded him to do a thing, and in the one breath he acknowledged him as Lord, and in the next he refused to do as he was commanded. I wonder if some of us are like this. We know what his will is for our lives. We confess him with our lips as Lord, but we draw back from full obedience and say, No, Lord. What a strange, incongruous thing this is. If he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Let me say that again. If he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. And if he is Lord 
It is not for us to say no, but to give him wholehearted obedience. Peter thought he was doing right by the express word of God, for he did not yet realize that he'd passed completely out of one dispensation into another. And that would be the passing from the dispensation of law to the new dispensation of grace. For me, this is a sobering lesson. The Lord is looking for my obedience and not my excuses. We must be careful to obey, even if it doesn't make any sense at all. Remember, God's ways are higher than our ways, and He has a purpose and a plan for everything that comes to us, whether it be great or small. Dr. W. W. Graham Scroge wrote, You can say no, and you can say Lord, but you cannot say no, Lord. If he is truly our Lord, then we can only say yes to him and obey his commands. Well, this vision that was given to Peter occurred three times, and while Peter was thinking about what this all meant, the three men Cornelius had sent arrived at his door. Perfect timing. Was this by coincidence? Absolutely not. This was God's timing. And again, it was for a reason and a purpose. It was at this time that the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter and informed him that these men, these three Gentiles, had been sent to him by God, and he was to go with them because God wanted him to tell Cornelius and his entire household about Jesus, the Savior of the world. Let's read that verse again. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Well, I have just one more thought from our passage today. There was a day in Jesus' ministry when Jesus asked his disciples a very important question. The question and their response are very important. Let me read now from Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 15. Jesus said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter's declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the key on which the church is built. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This message was the key that unlocked the gospel to both Jew and Gentile alike. But you will notice that taking the message proclaiming the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, this key of eternal truth, when it was placed in Peter's land, became hand became the keys of the kingdom of God. Peter opened the door of faith for the Jews in Acts chapter 2. 
And he also opened the door of faith for the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. And now he would be used of God to bring the Gentiles into the church. As it is written in Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the same gospel message that has been entrusted to every follower of Jesus Christ today. What is the gospel? Simply put, it is the good news of Jesus Christ. We are great sinners in need of a great Savior. Jesus is that great Savior. He came to earth, lived among us, dying on the cross for our sins. He was buried, but was raised to life for our justification. He has ascended to heaven and has been exalted on high, and one day he will return as a righteous judge over all the earth. Are you ready to see him face to face? When he comes, will he be your Savior, Redeemer, and Lord, or will he be your judge? The choice is yours. And I urge you today, make him your Savior. Do not wait. For on that day, it will be too late. Call out to him today with sincerity, just like Cornelius did. And I promise you that if you do, he will hear and answer you from heaven. He will forgive you and cleanse you from all your sin, just as he promised in his word. For it is written, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Heavenly Father, we are inspired by the life of Cornelius. He had come to know you as the true and living God, but he wanted more. He wanted the assurance of salvation. He wanted the fullness that only Christ could bring, but he did not yet know about Christ, so you sent your servant Peter to him to tell him the wondrous story of Jesus, the wondrous truth, the gospel message of salvation. Lord, I pray for the listeners today, my dear friends. They are precious in your sight. You love them so much. You know them. You know their lives. You know their struggles. You know their heartaches. You know their woundings. You know all of who they are. And I pray, O oh God, that you would speak to their hearts. Speak to them the message of love and of life. I pray, O oh God, that if they have not cried out to Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would just draw them to Jesus. Giving them the assurance, O oh God, that you are willing to forgive and to cleanse 
and to give them a new life. I pray, O oh God, for those who perhaps are struggling with their faith, that you would refresh and renew their commitment before you. Fill them with your joy. Grant them your peace, O oh God. And I pray for those who have been faithful, O oh Lord, that you would inspire them to keep pressing on, that you would reveal to them, O oh Lord, the great work that you've called them to, and that you would remind them that you've given them all they need. You've given them your word, you have given them your Holy Spirit, and you have given them your grace. Lord, I just pray that you will do a mighty work in our lives, calling us ever deeper into our relationship with you, that we might be counted as your faithful servants. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, if you find these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. Again, that's just all one word, BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. And so, until next time, my dear friend, may you be blessed as you draw near to our Lord Jesus Christ. May his grace and mercy rest upon you, and may he fill you with his perfect peace. Amen.